Kel. Hey, Tim. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Excellent. You're all giggly. I, just <laughs> before I press record, I was like, I've got to smile because, <laughs> you know, you can hear it coming through. Kind yeah, of thing. true. Um, here we are for, it's really episode one of uh, the proper episode of the Screen Feeder podcast called... The ending goes forever. Correct. I really have to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Set the scene for me. Well, um, I'd firstly like to acknowledge that we're on Yagara and Turrbal people's land and that we also would like to acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging. Uh, We also uh, believe that we're on stolen land and um, that's something that we would, you know, think is really important to acknowledge that the sovereignty was never ceded. So we're in um, my bedroom in Baden and it's a rainy, dreary Monday public holiday and um, we're ready to do this. We're going to do this thing. So in the pilot episode, we mentioned that we would talk about the albums in reverse chronological order. Since then, we've rethought slightly and decided to do this first episode about our new album Five Rooms and then go back to the beginning and do them from Flower coming forward. So it's a bit weird, but to us it sort of makes sense, right? Yeah, I think that it makes sense to go, this album's coming out now, yeah. let's talk about that, it's fresh in our minds, and then we'll dredge the past. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Five Rooms is our new album. Let's start, tell me about the title. You came up with it. So the five rooms concept was um, for ages, you and I were talking about how do we connect these songs to each other because you were writing in your place, I was writing at my place. The usual way we would write would be um, bringing stuff in and banging it out together or working on them for a while together before we took them to the practice room. But we weren't doing that because we were locked down as various situations going on that we weren't able to get together. So, you know, we were trying to think of geological uh, Geographical? Point. Oh, geographical, <laughs> yeah. No, I was getting into the geology of Fair like enough. the rocks and the land. But, yeah, geography points. Yeah. Like local landmarks that might signify something. And, you know, like the go-betweens and like Bella Vista Terrace, which is just around the corner, really. Right. Um, Spring Hill Fair, you know, like classic things yeah. that are Brisbane. You know, Doughboy Hollow, um, uh, Murder Creek. <laughs> there is no Murder Creek around here, I don't think, but that would be a good name. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the thing that connected us was the rooms, the separate rooms that we were in to write, and then the rooms that we came together in to feel like finish the songs and practice them and learn them. So they were um, basically our three band practice rooms that we used over that preceding, I guess, year. Mm-hmm. One was the halfway band practice room in Lockwich Road. Yeah, so that place is actually a little hairdresser's. That's, um, well, it's an empty hairdresser's with a room at the back. It's very better call Saul. Like, it is. Yeah. It's, almost, it's almost like Sopranos-ish. You've it got is. this empty hairdresser's yeah. and then you go out the back and there's this secret room. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's their room. We would just like would use their gear and like walk in and you know inhabit their space for a while, and it was it was great. Um, but we couldn't use that all the time, so we also were using Plutonium Studio, yeah, which is where Derek was based out of for a while in Kelvin Grove, and that was a really lovely space too. Like we had the the live room in there, 
and um, it has like palm trees and, you know. Wallpaper. Wallpaper. It yeah. was like nice very lighting. kitschy. I loved it. Like I felt very much at home there and so we could use all the nice studio gear there. And then finally we had to find another space which was uh, and still is Hunting Ground Studios in Maruka. Yeah. And so um, as soon as you mentioned the title to me, it's got a nice ring to it, I must say. It's short and it's easy to remember. And um, it sounds a little interesting, basically. So, uh, you know, I think as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, that's going to be the title. And we ran it by the others and everyone was like, yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing about Five Rooms was like I was trying to find something really, uh, yeah, like you said, to the point, like it's there's no messing around, but it, it leaves a lot to the ma- imagination. Yeah. And the other angle, I guess, which kind of comes into it being rooms and stuff is the whole lockdown season that we've been in like it's you're stuck in rooms oh one more thing yeah i also thought it sounded a little fugazi ish (laughs) nice (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know why what is it that their album's called like it was 12 songs um i don't know there's something that sounded a bit sort of kind of edgy Nice. You love edgy. <laughs> I love being on the edge. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> Who said that? Me. Nice. <laughs> that was you just now? No, I found it. It was something. I, th- I think it was like graffiti in a toilet somewhere. Okay, so that's the title. I mean, I, li- I really like the title, actually. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's our eighth album, Five Rooms. Yeah, it's all the all the numbers. Yeah. Adds up to 13. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> We've done a lot of albums outside of this as well. Like, True. between us, you've put out how many albums with We All Want To? Five. I've done, I worked out, God, so three solo records. I think I worked out, I've been on like 15 albums all up so far. Prolific. But that's just the albums. That's not like the singles and yeah, the that's right. like um, appearances and. We can probably cut all this out, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, the other thing, I guess, as a preliminary sort of setup for talking about the album is, you know, obviously the COVID thing, we should sort of mention, like, fairly briefly, I guess, the whole timeline. Like, we were, we had to cancel our tour for uh, the reissue of Take Your Part in two, uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. Then we had to cancel largely our tour for our 30th anniversary in 2021. Uh, when do you remember starting to actually work towards a new album? Oh, wow, that's a really good question. It must have been 2021, right? Yeah, I think it was definitely 2021 when everything, I think when the second tour was cancelled, I have a feeling our manager might have said before that, we've got to start thinking about a new record. Yeah. Do you remember what the first song you wrote that ended up on this album would have been? Some of the songs that I wrote were noodles that I'd had on my phone in, uh-huh. in my little... Um, recorder app that now does not exist and I've lost everything I have ever done. Great. Thanks, Apple. I remember the first song that I wrote that marked for me, oh, okay, this is the first song towards our new album. And it was actually the song Outers, Mm -hmm. which we actually called for ages uh, by its longer title, uh, As Close As We Will Get. Right, yeah. And so that was was, uh, the first one for me. I think yours could have been Break It Clean. I mean, yes, that was probably the first one that was written completely just, it wasn't taken from anywhere else. Try to Find Us is one that I wrote a really long time ago as well, but only like on acoustic and in a different tuning. Wow. 
And okay. yeah, so I had all these bits. So I had to, when I was told, okay, start getting some songs together, I'm like, oh God, okay, so I have to go through my sonic diary <laughs> yeah, and find bits and write from there, yeah. Were you happy in the end with how your bitty songs were um, put together and ended up? It's really hard for me to relinquish some control sometimes, as you would know, Tim. Um, th- uh, so some of the songs for me, you know, I'd half written them and you would go, oh, this needs an extra part or it needs something else. And then I would write something and then you would take it away and chop it up. And this was a new way of doing things as well. We'd never worked like this, like using files and computers. Previously, it all been in person, on guitars, writing together. This was like, um, you know, the modern, like how everybody else does it, I suppose. We finally got with the program. We finally got there into the future, <laughs> into the present. Um, so yeah, I struggled because you were rewriting some stuff and it would come back to me and I go, I don't recognize what's going on. Yeah. So that, that was really hard because when I write a song, I'm, I don't write it on a computer. So it's not just like spilling onto a program or a platform. It's inside me and I write it and I learn it and I know it. So when it was coming back to me in different forms, I was like, well, I don't understand. And then often you were trying to write longer songs and I'm like, no, they're meant to be shorter. Like t- stop um, piling things, stop yeah. pushing things into it. That's what I do. Yeah, you do. And I'm just like, cut it out, cut it out, but make it simple, make it uh, less um, long. <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, we had moments or short periods where there was very slow progress and we'd be sort of sitting there not at a standoff or a stalemate, but we'd be going, I think the song has to go like this. And you'd be like, no, I think it doesn't have to go like that because that's not my song. But then uh, I also remember moments where things suddenly flew ahead. Like I remember one night at Plutonium, we were working on Try to Find Us. And uh, I think we may have you know, moved the key a little and I found those particular chords and you were suddenly like, oh my God, there it is. you know, And that's, yeah. how, the, that's how the chorus has to move and these chords make sense. And... When we wrote it, the chords were very uh, well. The structure of the chords were quite bizarre because you know you've got an odd amount of bars and things mm-hmm. like that. But now listening back, it really, really flows. It makes sense. That ending, we worked on that together in my music room downstairs. That's right. Yeah, it wasn't until we had it as a band making it loud that yeah, it all kind of fell into place. And do you remember, uh, especially Let's the Party was one we. Oh, tried yeah. a practice for so long and we were actually getting fairly frustrated and we didn't know how to play it because it's essentially a super simple song. The change part in it was a late addition and we just needed to find a vibe for it mm. and find some excitement in it and we struggled a long time, right? Yeah, I was ready to just go forget about yeah. it. In fact, I think when we were in the room and we were being filmed for the documentary, I had a little bit of a tanty. Yeah. Maybe not a tanty, but I had a like a real look, just forget about it. Let's it's like not you hit do a wall, this. Right? Yeah, I just kind of felt like really exposed and yeah. n- unhappy with it and just like just fucking forget about it. It was really probably only a fortnight or so before recording. We just started playing it again and Dean just out of nowhere almost started that beat and we all looked at each other and went, Oh, hang on. Yeah. I think also because when I recorded the demo for it, I'm playing the guitar. And I have a certain style and 
uh, Derek was playing that guitar part and we were struggling to find the vibe for it. So I really wanted it. And so did Anna, our producer. She really wanted to have that certain something that the demo had. So we had to try and work out how we did that. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was awkward and hard. Did we work it out? Are you happy with how it turned out guitar-wise? Obviously, you, I have demo-itis. So oh, yeah, it's a thing. I find it very hard to move away from the original conception of it and what it means and sounds like. So recording it, I think it sounds like a billion times better than what I expected it to. And the drums and all the parts really come together. I'm really proud of it. And and we did a really good job, like getting it to be the way it is. Yeah, I agree. I'm really happy with it too. I mean, the funny thing is for uh, I find you to be someone who, when they write a song or demo a song, you've really got a sound in your mind as well. Like for me, it's just like a blank sketch of something which can, you know, find its own sound later on. But for you, the sound is super important, right? Yeah, I, I, I think it's because I'm visual, uh, which is really it's juxtaposing that idea. But when I write a song, I can see it. Right. Um, I can hear it. And I can feel it. So when it gets changed, I lose the connection to it. Gotcha. And um, I need that. But like, it's kind of like I write songs that are soundtracks. So they're visual and they sound a certain way. And it's hard for me to remove myself from them. You have to constantly let go. Yeah. And I'm not good at that because songs are like their own little entity. They're like ghosts or they're like... Um, dreams you have to reconstruct and they're very personal so yeah when someone else comes along and starts sweeping up like the mess or you know trying to connect the dots it's like you don't understand (laughs) yeah I hear you Um, there's a couple of songs immediately for me which I remember that we rehearsed heaps slower than ended up on the record one is try to find us and the other is um who are we and I remember thinking about who are we like it's got to have this really slow chug and it's got to be almost a little dirgy and now I listen back and it's fairly sprightly and I'm like of course that's right it it needs to move it needs to be up up tempo and needs to have some energy and you know I'm fairly protective of my songs as well but especially working in we all want to over the years and working with other people I actually enjoy kind of letting go now and Mm -hmm. saying to other people why don't you push this in the direction you want it yeah that's cool. Like, um, I think when you bring a song in, it's often more complete anyway. Um, and mine are like potentially like need the, the hems taken up or, you know, like taken in a bit somewhere. I think I'm the real scissor wielder of the band in the practice room. I'm the, I'm the one who will say, oh, hang on, stop. That's, that shouldn't be like that. Or, you know, this needs to be different. And so when with my songs, I I guess I feel like, I've got to bring them in ready because yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be standing there dissecting them again yeah. in the practice room. And you guys are probably slightly more happy just to roll with it. Although I do think that when it comes to your songs, I'm I'm a good editor in the practice room though. Like it needs to go down here, yeah. you know, like the dynamics um, that, you know, maybe like lose four choruses or yeah. a couple of verses, like 10 verses maybe. <laughs> I think we are slightly getting better at chopping down because I tend to be you know overly long sometimes you do you do like a meander (laughs) a little bimble in the park 
A, a what? A bimble. Bimble. It's like a Scottish walk. Wow, Scottish the, walk. A, yes. It, oh. <laughs> I a do wee like that. bimble. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, we have to give credit to Dean because he's a great drummer and great drummers bring more than just great drum beats. They actually can uh, insert a lot of dynamics and, um, uh, yeah. And, um, and they can steer the shape yeah. of the song by their playing. They'll feel where to go. Yeah. Yeah. In the rehearsals of these songs, it took a really long time for us to nail stuff. And I think it's because we were so disjointed. Also the fact that we had a very loose timeline. We really had very flex, flexible deadlines and we didn't really know what was happening for a lot of the time. Yeah. We were originally slated to record in April of last year, 2021. Um, immediately prior to that, we thought we were kind of ready. And then there was a massive COVID lockdown. The producer, Anna Laverty, got stuck in, was it Perth or Sydney? No, so she was coming to Brisbane and the day that she was arriving, Brisbane was going into a lockdown. Right. And for her to then go from, spend 10 days in Brisbane and then fly directly to Perth. Right. She wasn't able to commit because you need to be like 12 days. What was it? It was crazy. You had to be 28 days free from a a hot spot. Like, I don't know. So it was going to be really a really dangerous scenario, her getting stuck in Brisbane when she had to work in Perth. I think it was a godsend because honestly, when I look back now, uh, the bulk of our good work towards the songs was done in that period after April. So it was really in May and June of last year that we really, really zeroed in on the songs. And, you know, for example, the beat in Late to the Party, we didn't have that in April and it would have been a radically different song. So I think we were totally not ready and it would have been a very, very stressful session of trying to cobble together stuff. And by July, we felt much better. And I was myself fairly confident with this, the whole session and, you know, attacking the songs. I agree. I mean, I was actually really worried. I, I kept saying most practices, like, I don't think we're going to be ready. And and in some ways, going into the studio, like 80% ready can create like a vibe. Your creativity is flowing harder because you've got to deliver, but it's stressful. I think that the extra like eight weeks that we had was pivotal, <laughs> pivotal. I don't take that out. I'm leaving it in. You said it in the other one as well. (laughs) No, I'm not saying the word, no. Uh, The eight weeks that we had up our sleeves to like finish these songs was really important. We we just did some really good work somehow. Deadlines, deadlines. You need a deadline. Yeah, I agree. I think we did really good. Um, Talking of Anna, do you remember, I mean, I I can't actually remember who it was introduced me to... uh, the idea that there was this woman called Anna who lived in Melbourne and was a producer. And because I guess in Australia, there are fairly few female producers, right? There's not many. No. So I, I mentioned it to Joe one day, our manager, and he said, that's a great idea. Ask Kel. And I asked you. Yeah. And I was super excited because uh, I know who Anna Laverty is yeah. and I've followed her for a while. And um, I also work at APRA and she's an APRA ambassador. And I'd met her a couple of times and she's lovely. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to work with a woman producer, you know, I was just excited about the idea of working with a woman. I knew you would be and I was really happy with how excited you were and honestly um, I immediately at that point felt you almost like engaged deeper with the whole album. 
Yeah, I did because I I sort of feel like um, mm, how do I just so working with men isn't bad. Like all the other people that we've worked with have been really great to work with and everything. But I just been feeling like a new dynamic was needed, and yeah, I don't know. It was just time. <laughs> and what do you think was the main thing she brought? One of the things that her and I talked about was uh, our work in music it often finds us being the only women in the room. And, you know, you just, there's a different dynamic when there's two women in the room. And, you know, I felt that and I felt that really deeply. And I felt a really lovely connection with Anna as well. Like she, um, we connected as women, you know, and yeah. that's something that's really unusual. I've never really experienced that before. Um, it was nice to see that, you know, and um, for me, I don't know if this is a huge cliche or just way over generalization, but the way she worked, which was the way I perceived she might work as a woman is to be very much more instinctual and run things based on how things feel rather than the technical side. Like, you know, she knew the technical side back to front and was able to use that as the tool to get to where she wanted to go uh, feeling or intuition-wise. Would you not say that about a man? Well, honestly, um, I would find men generally on the whole to be slightly more, uh, let's get another take, the the snare wasn't quite right, or, um, you know, slightly more leaning into the technical side of it and uh, perhaps looking for a bit more perfection in a way on the whole. What do you reckon? I mean, that's probably just a personal style less than being a gender focus. Yeah, you're probably focus. right. Yeah. It's just different people have different ways of working. Yeah, true. I mean, men have to have intuition as producers and that's one of the really important things about being a producer true. is you have to get the best out of that person and often when you're recording and you're doing vocals, for example, you've got to coax that person to be A, comfortable, B, at working at their best. They're in a room on their own and everybody else is isolated from them. That producer has to be a therapist, a technician, a coach, a, coach, a best friend, an engineer, an engineer, like all the things. Yeah. And every person that we've worked with is generally really good at that. Magoo was brilliant at it. So sure. was Paul McKercher. Wayne Connolly. Wayne Connolly. A producer just basically needs to be everything to that person and get the best out of them. And it doesn't matter what gender you are. You just have to tap into that that role. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with you for a long time. I've also worked with Sky and We All Want To. And I just feel like, again, it could just be me and a generalization or whatever, but I just feel that you sort of like you, you operate on a slightly different level, which is really awesome, and it brings a whole dimension to the music. Like it really does. I go on feeling, yeah, more than I do. Like I'm not a technical musician. I I play a lot of wrong things because it feels right. Yeah, and um, and I'm not saying like you know Anna's not just like pressing buttons like because it feels right. Sure, she's like an incredibly well trained professional engineer and producer but she probably might be tuning into different things that as you know you're seeing that in that role you hadn't seen it before sure i mean it could easily be just the the range of people i've worked with and i just you know feel that slightly deeper about say you and sky and yeah yeah it's interesting yeah it's really cool um i feel that without the female presence there you kind of almost lack something yeah you know it did really create a different vibe 
Yeah. I think what it did, which this is hilarious, is like made all you guys behave better. Really? <laughs> yeah, you were just like not farting, you know, like in each other's faces or mine for that matter. <laughs> you were like being conscious. It's kind of like when someone's mum's around. Yeah. You're not going to like start being a dickhead. Yeah, true. And if you're, it's like when the guys are all together, but someone's girlfriend's there, you're going to be acting a little different. So it was like when there's women there, men settle down. True. And fuck, it was so great. <laughs> Thank you, Anna Lavany. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I had a great time with her. I'm super happy with how the session ran. and She was so great. Like, I mean, after every day we would make dinner. So you would make dinner or I'd make dinner, Derek made dinner. And we sat down and we shared a meal. Yeah. And, you know, she was telling us some of the most great stories about, like, working in London. And I just... I really like her. I think she's a really beautiful person and it was so good to have um, that her beautiful presence there. Yeah, and she was very good in like, yeah, we had a, it was I think a 10-day session and we worked super hard. Like we, we basically all turned up around 10, 10.30 in the morning and just walked straight in and started working and we finished by about 9 p.m. And she kept it rolling really well. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a tiny bit of a stressful session in that we had to do like 12 songs or whatever it was and really I'd only written a lot of my guitar parts in the preceding weeks mm. and I was kind of like firing up my computer, listening to my demos, mm. then replaying the parts, things like that. You know, when I think about the session, it seems very much like we were just hanging on to the songs, even though we kind of did know the songs. It was very much um, like on the fly, you know, here's this, here's the, we're doing this song now, play the guitar part for it and it was just that's what you're going to get, that's it, that's the record of this moment. We had done a lot of work on vocals, so we had recorded a lot of harmonies and variations. Yeah, there were certain songs so, that we'd really stacked it up on, like, for example, Break It Clean. I remember we had a really great demo with all all your parts all ready to go. So you had some Pro Tools sessions that we were referring to because we would have lost them and we sure, would never we would have, have come up them. with them on yeah. the spot. Yeah. So that was really important part of the process as well. We should do that again. We should do that again? Next time around. Oh, Okay. I, think I haven't we told should... you this, but there's going to be a next time around. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to like look at my calendar. Yeah, thing. cool. <laughs> I'll get my people and talk to your people. That sounds good. Let's do that. <laughs> so tell us about the studio we recorded in. So it's Airlock Studio in Sanford Valley. It's, what, 19, 20 kilometres out of Brisbane. It's got a beautiful studio that Ian from Powderfingers put together over like the last 20 years or yeah, so. Yeah, more. The studio's got like um, a really big theatre style um, control room. It's got this like really interesting feeling about it. Like you're part of you're what you're an audience member watching a play sometimes, yeah. um, and you've also got all these video screens so you can see what's happening outside as well. So it's like you're in command control. And it's also got another little room uh, where we did the singing and where all the guitar amps live. Like he's got what, like 30 amazing amps, yeah, which was kind of great. But honestly, for me, I'm terrible with choosing. So I was like, oh, my God, which one am I going to use? I just stuck with either one of two amps for the whole session. Uh, so that was cool. I just used an Ampeg, you yeah. know, the classic SVT, like chunky um, valve sound with my Rickenbacker and my um, Big Muff pedal. That's all I needed. 
That's all you'll ever need. I think the nice <laughs> thing about the studio and the location is we actually did manage to do what we've always tried, you know, we've always done in the past and get out of town mm. and hole up somewhere and have a session which is virtually uninterrupted. It really felt like we were somewhere different from being at home. Yeah. So we just lived, recorded, ate, slept, yeah, recorded. Really good. Yeah. I, that's how I like to work for sure. Yeah. Why don't we um, scoot through the songs, like not like endlessly? Yeah, sorry, am I talking apart. too much? No, no, it's all good. Uh, let's talk about the songs, just, you know, a couple of minutes per song, for example. What do you reckon? In order? Should we do that? Yeah, let's do that. rooms track one is day crew tim can you tell us what tell us the story about this song okay so um we've got this uh well kelly's got this um a bit of a rule where you know you rehearse up all the songs for the album and then there's going to be no more songs like that's it that's all you can fit in your brain right come on it makes sense it's like we're, we've got a plan let's stick to the plan okay so um, me, when I've got a, a recording deadline, suddenly all my creative stuff starts leaping out and I'm like, oh, hang on, guys, I've got another song, got another song. So what day did you say we started recording? Was it Friday? Um, I'm pretty sure the drums it, arrived on Friday yeah. and we were tracking Saturday. So on the Wednesday before that, uh, the night I was sitting at home and I just started coming up with a song and I'd, I'd heard this phrase, Day Crew, from someone who worked in a, a Hungry Jacks, actually. And it more or less just fell into my lap. I wrote it in like 20 minutes and it encompasses a few things. So one of them is it's got the phrase, don't get me started in it, which we were going to not call your song that. We were going to call it, we were going to find another title, but because it used to have that as a lyric, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the Daiquiri's got don't get me started in it. It's also got Samantha in it. And the story behind that is, do you remember last time we put out Pop Guilt in 2017, we offered... Uh, this pre-sale deal where someone could uh, like we'd write a song for someone with their name in it and someone ordered that from us with the name Samantha and we didn't deliver so like four years have gone by and we're sitting there going we haven't given this guy a song with Samantha in it do and you like, know I would go to bed sometimes like going Samantha Panther I go Panther <laughs> we'll write for Samantha how can we get Samantha in our song I knew that Samantha was the perfect name for the character in that song and it all just fell into place. And I was like, ah, shit, I've got to tell Kel now. So I think I texted you and said, sorry, dude, but I've got another song. And you were like, dude, shouting at me over text. <laughs> and I was like, I'll just send you my phone demo that I've just recorded. And it's short. It's two minutes. And you heard it. Yeah, it was great. I yeah. loved it. And I was like, phew. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, when we were in recording at the studio we said to dean i'll do this another song don't don't stress like it's easy and i remember dean was actually dying to go home he was tired and it was mm. like six o'clock on the saturday or something and he we finished whatever we we're working on he looked at me and went all right dude teach me the next song <laughs> and i i kind of strummed through for him once and i i beatboxed how i imagined the intro going and he was like right like this and he played it and i was like yeah exactly like that and we recorded it and 20 minutes later he was packing up and going home yeah it was pretty wild. It's a really good song though and it's a great opener because it does kind of introduce all of the loose ends, you know, like it, yeah. it mentions the title, 
it mentions don't get me started oh and it, yeah it's got five rooms in it yeah. too of course so i mean i think for you 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 were creating the song that tied it all together that's right so um it's really the simplest song i've written in forever like it's got yeah. four chords i love it, it. it's such a great anything. it's such a great song it's very hold steady kind of song like you love the hold steady i do love the hold steady i think and- this is the hit that Hold steadiest song you've ever written. I hope it's not too hold steadyish. I don't know. Most people probably don't know hold steady, so um. <laughs> <laughs> more people know us than the hold steady for sure. <laughs> I mean, sorry, hold steady. I mean, I'm sure that you're super I'm popular. In, I'm influenced for sure. Like it's a story about someone and then their miniature little slice of life on that day. Absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, okay, moving on. Let's tell me about. Don't get me started. So um, I just got myself a new interface for my computer to record and um, I don't do much recording on the computer. I've done it, but I don't really dig it. Like I write songs on the guitar and I will just record them on my phone and I'll piece them together. As I said before, like that's just how I write. I've got to do it kind of organically and for real. So I was just plugging in this thing, trying to get it to work and I just started playing like the little riff and I put in a rhythm track and then I started playing a different opposing rhythm track. And I was like, fuck, this is really fun. I'm having a really good time doing this. And then I was like, where's my bass? Let's put some bass on this. And I just went crazy with this stupid bass line. And so Stevie in Def Cult, he does all of his recording. So I sent him the song. I was like, hey, what do you think of this? And he was like, well, this is really cool. The drums suck, though, because it was like the pre whatever you call them, like the... Oh, yeah, like the, the in-house like a preset, preset or yeah, something. Yeah, preset drums. And he was like, these drums suck. And he's like, let me, can I can I put some drums to it? And so I'm like, yeah. And so he did, and I was just like, holy cow, this just like elevated this song 100,000 times. such a bitsy song and then when I brought it to the band I was like okay I don't want this to change this is it and then you took it away and you add you like extended parts and made them longer and and I'm like what's it really did feel like it was in its infancy it wasn't fully formed basically yeah Um, I agree but there was something really special about the demo like it did capture something really like the energy in it is really cool let's have a quick listen to the demo here we go see it's all right yeah <laughs> it's got a, it's got something right there's something there it's and it was lyrics. yeah it was actually very hard to it together in the practice room it went through a lot of changes but again when when we get when we hit upon the idea of that slight sort of breakdown in the middle that's when it we suddenly went oh this is this is exciting and dean put his little very police-like drum parts in it which was very very cool yeah so that was a really organic moment too like that was at um hunting ground studios we just went into a jam thing which is really weird for us i mean we do jam but yeah this turned. This was like <laughs> we were like turning, yeah, into the police or something. It was but good. It was good. What's next? No past tense. No past tense. Can we talk about a future? 
Yeah, no past tense. Um, I probably around at least three years ago now, I came home one night drunk after a gig and picked up the guitar while I was, you know, just in my house in the dark and uh, recorded this, like I just had the idea on the spot and recorded a quick little, here's, here's the line for the verse, here's the line for the chorus, just so I wouldn't forget it. And uh, I sort of demoed it up myself for ages and just added tons of harmonies and parts and just treated it as a bit of a, a fun thing, really. And um, the whole idea was like I'd put out the album The Haze by We All Want To and On The Dots by We All Want To, which were very nostalgic. You know, I love writing like that. Like I feel that when you look back with a few years under your belt, it's lovely to, you know, re-experience things and look at them through a different angle or whatever. But at that particular moment, I was like, let's do some songs which aren't just nostalgic. I've got more than that. Yeah, you definitely... I feel like the nostalgia is really lovely, but I also feel like those songs belong to an, to We All Want To in lots of ways. And you had written some songs while you were over in London or when you came back that were really beautiful songs that you brought in for Screen Feeder, but I was like, oh, you know, this doesn't feel like it's the storytelling. Like, you're a storyteller, and, and that's cool, but these songs felt like a different band or solo Sort of yeah, um, our manager Joe sort of said the same thing. I can't remember which song it was. He said that song isn't I, uh, the one about the packing up the house. Yeah, it was a, a song called "Empty the House," yeah. which uh, I, it felt like it could be a screen feeder song, but at the same time, he was like, eh, "It's a little too literal for screen feeder." The screen feeder stuff that works best seems to be the slightly more obtuse lyrically kind of stuff. Yeah, I I agree, but um, you know, you write songs are songs, and sometimes you go, oh, this isn't quite right. And then there's been plenty of songs where that haven't been right for Screen Feeder that I've written that are like, well, they belong elsewhere. And there's weird songs like you know, if you think about Screen Feeder, songs like My Dad's Hands and stuff, which sort of sticks out a little. Yeah, but that's kind of obtuse too. Like it's you're not telling like a you're not telling a linear story in that True. song. It's pretty weird song. I like that. <laughs> yeah, cool. So yeah, anyway, no past tense. Another one we demoed heaps at home, and I think you came over to my place, and we did lots of backing vocals and worked out how it would all move. And um, I wanted to keep it short. I wanted to keep it tidy, so it just fades as soon as it can. Do you know that when we mix the song, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Oh no, now. did you re-record my, my no, bass? no, no? I didn't re-record <laughs> anything. But there was that point where you do the bass riff. You do the down, 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 and it was a bit weird and Bo, who was mixing it, um, I said to him, look, just put some root notes under it as a second bass track. So that's actually in there as well. But it's very subtle, you know, oh, it just really? supports what the guitars are doing. What? <laughs> I um, What's the so word? So it's been, you've added, Bo added some bass. No, he didn't play the bass. We just got oh. the notes from within the song. We oh, just, okay, because yeah, it, it was missing that. Together. Yeah. You're missing that bottom end that's right because the guitar's riffing and the bass is riffing you need to it needs to sit on a bed of something for it to yeah. work and be contextualized you know what yeah I mean? yeah oh that's very interesting thanks yeah, for telling it, me it works you know it's not it's not over or anything but it's there yeah, yeah. have you ever re-recorded my bass uh not that i can remember good because it like tell me for true for reals have you 
literally can't remember. Okay. It's, I don't think so. Like when I say I can't remember, I mean I can't remember doing that. Okay. Yeah. Because I think that's a big fear that I've got, <laughs> that someone's just come in and re-recorded something just sure. like, and then I never noticed. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't think it's happened, dude. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank you. So we've touched on Late to the Party already. Uh, is there anything else you want to add about that song? I don't know where the lyrics came from It for that. sounds stream of consciousness-ish. Yeah, it's kind of like diary writing, but it's also like me. It's a critique on modern socialising, I suppose, like having a bunch of rules about how to engage at a party, like, you know, um, maybe girls having to like have like a bunch of games that they play or a bunch of personas to take on uh i don't know like it's not it's not about me it's about what i imagine it's like to be young going to parties now yeah which is obviously very different from how it was when we were doing yeah i mean i guess (laughs) i don't go to parties i think it would be i think the whole socializing thing would have changed so much say in the last you know 25 years so yeah and so for me it's kind of like mean girls it's like you know girls having to um, protect themselves to put up a whole bunch of pretenses or walls and then bring it all back in like the do this do that be that uh, and then shy away from the attention yeah exactly yeah so i kind of like this song a lot actually i like it too what about the mega long intro the mega long intro is brilliant i love it so curie I guess it has to establish the drum thing is a the drum thing's awesome, but imagine if it didn't have the intro, it just went into the singing. It's almost like you really gotta set that rhythm thing up and you gotta say, here it is. Listen to this rhythm thing for a while. Get on the train with us. Yeah. I think it's a little unlike us in general. Yeah. Um, talking of the cure, it's totally like the song that opens their album Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, which is called Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. It's got a super long intro and then a very, very short amount of singing, then it ends. And it's kind of awesome. Didn't you tell me that there's also like the same chord progression or something? Uh, there's a song on Head on the Door. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's got the exact same chord progression, yeah. I honestly did not steal. You just borrowed it. Didn't even know I was borrowing it. I love the chord progression though it's a really really cool one and we've toyed around with the key of the song for ages too like we kept changing it because you wrote it a little low and it ends up in this really weird hard to play key like we've never written a song which starts on like C minor before it's just <laughs> unheard of for us so I'm capoed on like the 6th fret doing all this stuff right up in between the 6th and like the 10th or the 12th it's weird but it it's, is, it is kind of fun it's and I'm so- in a different tuning so it's it's nuts Oh, yeah, you're doing this lead break in a weird tuning with yeah, the capo. Yeah, so I've got to rethink my note intervals between strings, and, yeah, it's kind of crazy. And so we've been rehearsing it um, for the last couple of weeks, and it's sounding really good, too. Yeah, like, it's sounding good. I can't believe you've managed to capo different tuning lead break. Yeah, it's been fun, and it's I'm kind of at the stage where I think I've kind of got it. <laughs> yeah, no, you've got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... We've talked about outers as well. So this was, you reckon that this is the first song you wrote for the album? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was the first song I wrote. I purposely sat down and was like, okay, I can I can feel that there's 
the need for new songs. We're going to do an album. What's the song? It's on the horizon. Out is the song that used to be called As Close As We Will Get. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, okay. And I was, uh, you know, when I haven't written a song for a while, which I hadn't, I'm always a little slow and it's always slightly more difficult. So I was, okay, I've got to write something that's really simple. It's just got to have a couple of parts. I don't need to overthink it. I just need something really simple. So um, I just uh, I just kind of threw it together as a bit of a, almost testing the waters for myself. Like I can just get a song together in an afternoon and it's not going to kill me. So I actually really didn't like this song to start with. Yeah. I thought it was, again, like one of those uh, nostalgia songs. But um, I guess now it I really is. like it. I, it is. Let's knock it in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. So talking of songs you're not super keen on of mine, mm. tell me about Campfire. I was in the forest. I couldn't find my campfire. I was in the forest. I couldn't find my campfire. <laughs> campfire. I don't know what it is that I didn't like about this song. Or I think I, you said it was nursery rhyme-ish. Yeah, but, you know, High Seasons as well, and there's other songs of ours that are, like Mr. Tuba, you know, things are a little bit more playful and um, childlike and naive and stuff. And so this song kind of felt like that. It felt a bit Pixies-ish. I was picking up on the Breeders vibe thing. But there was just... I think lyrically, I don't know, there's something, it just wasn't gel. I wasn't gelling with it for a long time. I almost think that the song could have been perhaps a step simpler again, like uh, it's it almost overplays its hand, but yeah, okay. maybe not quite, maybe it's fine and it fades out, so you're not stay, staying around, you know, forever. Yeah. Um, I like the melodies in it. Yeah. I, I kind of like the lyrics, to be honest. Like yeah. I, I kind of think it's very opaque and oh, not opaque. I mean, transparent. Actually, <laughs> like it's it's yeah. what you see is what you get. Yeah, it's kind of like a love song. You know, is it a, like a love song? I guess it might be kind of like one, but not really. Sort of like a connection to somebody song. No, it's really literal, actually. Okay, were you, what were you thinking of when you wrote it? I was literally thinking about being lost in a dark forest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think one of the things about it for me is that it's very simple and that it needed to potentially be more quirky and weird. And we got there it's with pretty that. straight. Well, it's still pretty straight. I mean, def- we did work on the quirk, but I think that... Work on the quirk. We worked on the quirk. <laughs> you jerk. You, you're a jerk. Next up, Kel, is Everything's Temporary. Tell us a bit about that one. Funnily enough, it's very similar to another song that I've written. Which is? Alone in a Crowd. Yeah, has, it's really similar. It Tempo, this, yeah, same key. Same chords. Like same in the, melodies. Well, 
It's really different. I think if you listen to them side by side, you go, oh, they're really different, but it's reminiscent of it. And I was really disappointed when I worked that out. I was like, oh, no. But um, I mean, this song is kind of about, you know, it's all piecing different things together. Like I like to write songs that aren't necessarily a narrative. They don't have like a story, but by doing that, it creates its own story and people can attach what they want to it. I think most of the songs that I've been writing are looking at the world and thinking about um, how we're interacting with each other and it's sort of talking about, you know, I feel strange and I don't know how to explain. Everything was so strange. You know, when we were in that six-week lockdown in Australia, the whole country stopped and I would step out into my back step and look at the sky and the sky looked different. You know, at night time it was... The air was different and, you know, we'd go for bike rides at 11 o'clock at night and there's nobody around or at 6 o'clock there's nobody around and it just felt like the, maybe not like the end of the world, but it felt so strange. You know, I like to get out into nature and you could really feel the air was different because people just weren't driving around every day. That's right. Anyway, so this song kind of looks at that in a way, but I really felt that when I was writing it. I think the idea of everything being temporary is kind of cool. Like it's um, maybe not for everyone all the time. It's, it's a happy idea, but it's a kind of cool idea at the same time. Well, I think that's... It's almost liberating. It is, and it's also just life. Like yeah. everything really is temporary. Yeah. And just, you know, that idea of like, oh, this will change. Mm. This too will change. There's like a... As some kind of this tower saying or something. or something. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. But then it's like the verses are kind of like, you know, thinking about why do you have to say everything that comes into your brain? Like everybody just oversharing all the time. And because I've been a massive diary writer my whole life, I was not, I don't write in my diary much anymore. I just think it's a weird phenomenon. It really is. But it's also very interesting because, you know, Say, for example, in a diary, you would be incredibly intimate and you'd obviously write everything because it's not designed for anyone else to read. Uh, on the internet, it is designed for people to read, so you're either going to under... You, you, you're going to rein it in because you, you're conscious of what other people might think or you're going to consciously overshare and really, really put yourself out there. What's your view on the whole diarising for yourself versus documenting for the whole world question? This connection, and everybody needs connection. I myself don't want to put all of my feelings out on the internet. I think for most people, I don't know if it's true, but it seems like most people probably don't bother diarising or keeping a diary uh, in general. I'm not talking about now, I'm just talking about any old year. Mm -hmm. uh, and it might be nice to look back in 10 years, and even if it's really a curated story of yourself for social media it might be nice to look back and go oh wow that's what I was doing I can remember that I can remember what I was feeling yeah. I can remember what brought it about in a, in a similar way to rereading old diaries yeah no I totally agree because you know even now we've been on Facebook for 10 11 12 years or whatever it is and you're getting fed your memories to you it's really it's very 
um, dystopian as well as utopian yeah. idea of this machine is generating your memories to remember. <laughs> it is when you think when you say it like that. Yeah, you're right. I just find it like really interesting and sometimes fully disturbing, and other times like, oh, well, that's just the world that we live in. Receiving a Facebook uh, reminder of something that happened five or ten years ago is one thing, but how do you feel when you read old diaries back? Oh my goodness, I've had to do that for our book. Oh, wow, I was doing it last night <laughs> to like look at um, what was happening in 1991 and 92, and holy cow, so many things that are the same and nothing's changed. <laughs> and is it cringy? Super cringy. Wow. But some of it is very, I'm not going to say profound, but, you know, insightful. And do you find yourself liking that 20-year past Kelly? Yes. I feel, I wish I could have given her a gigantic hug because she was very, she wasn't having a great time. Right. Yeah. I want, I I really wish that she could have just pushed through some things and felt more confident and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I've got a set of diaries from the period, uh, I think it was in 1986 when I came back from living in England for nine months and I started meeting people in Townsville and I started putting the band together the very first time through to about, uh, must have been um, perhaps early 91 when we moved the band to Brisbane. And I've had them in my drawer forever, obviously. And probably around three or four years ago, I was like, I'm going to read them. And... I was like, this is going to be super cringy. And I was really prepared. I was going to, I was prepared to be almost embarrassed by myself. And I read them and honestly, they weren't cringy because I, it, a lot of them were really like, oh, this happened today, then this happened. And sure, it was like a catalog of the parties I went to and what I did. And my handwriting was terrible. I couldn't even read all of it. <laughs> but, you know, just remembering those particular occasions, 90% of which I did remember, was amazing to revisit that time in my life and just to, feel what it felt like being you know 20 21 in Townsville back in the 80s and it was incredible wow so your mind I started writing a diary in when I was 15 like in Uh grade 10 because that was a an assignment for our English class and I never stopped I had a really exciting life like I did a lot of stuff so I was talking about all the people that I was meeting too and the scene that we were creating like in the early 90s it was a wild time yeah a lot of it is like my personal like boy troubles or relationship stuff or drugs and drinking and the depression that followed, all this stuff. But yeah, it's some of it's cringy, but a lot of it is a real capturing that moment. Um, but I've, I still write, not very often, but um, I probably wrote all the time up until like I was in my 30s. Right. Yeah. Some of it's been used for lyrics and tons of songs. Like Stopless was all like stuff from my diaries. I think perhaps Sushi Bowl as well. Um, yes, that was definitely like prose and poetry stuff, um, stealing off Henry Rollins. And <laughs> <laughs> nice. Funnily enough. So bringing it back to Sorry, we've gone the way song, off topic. Uh, Everything's Temporary, this was definitely the song which I probably pushed out of your comfort zone the hardest with editing the song, kind of restructuring it and things like that. What I was chasing was I could hear these hooks lying 
dormant in the song that I wanted to bring to the front. I could hear very, very precise melodic hooks, uh, which um, it, I could really hear them and I really wanted to push them to the front. And I remember the, running a couple of arrangements by you, which you were like, this isn't my song anymore. And I was like, yeah, sure, fair enough. I get it. Um, I'll, I'll wind it back. I'll try something different. And yeah, what's your take on that kind of side of it? Um, I really love how the song ended up. Um, it did take a few twists and turns um, and it, it did take a bit of time to get used to it. And we, and we did go move into some places where it was like, this doesn't quite, it had changed too much or something. All right. We've talked about that for way too long oh, and gone good. off on that's different good. What tangents. have we got next? Deirdre's next, isn't it? Uh, Deirdre, yeah. Um, for me, as soon as you get someone's name in there, it's almost like the story springs to life out of nowhere and you can just write it in a flash. I think... I think it was a fairly quick write and um, I could really hear it being like, remember when we were going through our massive urge overkill <laughs> love phase in yeah. about 95 or whatever yeah. it was and we were just in love with saturation and we'd play yeah. it in the car the whole time. For me, it sounded like it wanted to be that. It sounded like it wanted to be like Erica Kane or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Like it had, for me, it always had this sort of cool yet urgent vibe to it, which I don't know if we really hit because vocally I'm like flip side of the coin to you know the urge overkill guys you've got these rich buttery voices yeah uh but i wanted it to be a little like that a little like restrained in tempo and a bit kind of cool and groovy almost <laughs> that's so funny because i see it as like a snotty punk song wow okay but it's not it's... a snotty punk song but it feels like that's where you're coming from like because right. i know you've been really connecting with your you know like 80s uh, like late 70s punk stuff yeah. but I can kind of see that now and honestly this song's the arrangement is so kooky but it's so you it's really complicated but it, it seems so effortless so anyone listening to it would just be like wow that's a cool song but it's like do you know how hard this song <laughs> is <laughs> it is so hard there's like 20 million chord changes but it's not it's, it's not that bad When we play it, like even though it's a fast song, it doesn't feel like we're racing or it doesn't feel like we're trying to keep up with the drummer or anything. No, especially when with the breakdown, because it, yeah. it's got it gets groovy there. Yeah, that's and right. also the quick chord changes I can see with Erica Kane in that too. Yeah. yeah. Erica Kane's so awesome. It's such a great song. Erica Kane another Erica Kane when joy was pain, you had to Yeah, so great, huh? What a band. I know. Whatever Actually, happened you know to what? them? Have you heard the new album that's no. just come out? It's pretty good. Wow. And I'm going to shock you now. They uh -oh. open with a cover of Freedom by, is it Wham or George Michael? I don't want your freedom. You know that song? Uh, that, that's a George Michael song, isn't it? But it's awesome and it completely wow. suits them. It's amazing, yeah. Their voices have got so much... Um, depth and yeah. feeling yeah. and the way they approach guitar playing the way they approach drumming is so freaking expressive you know like it. every so often i rip out the stull ep yes and um there's two songs on there the candidate and stull holy goodness gracious they're so brilliant the guitar playing the vocals the lyrics like the 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 feeling of those songs. Oh, what about Emmeline? 
His voice is bleeding. Like it's you can hear yeah. the you can hear this gravelly bleeding passion in his voice. Yeah. It's insane. Why are we talking about Urge Overkill? At because Deirdre was <laughs> oh, right. it came from this Urge Overkill segment of my brain. Oh, you've got an Urge Overkill segment. Yeah, of I've your got brain. a whole lobe. Got a, like a, a whole lobe. A U O L. An Urge Overkill lobe. <laughs> a U O L. Oh, can you hear me, U O? And then the Beaujolais. <laughs> We used to carry on with so much rubbish. <laughs> it sounds like we still do. Yeah. Um, pushing forward, um, I'm going to introduce Break It Clean. Like Break It Clean for me has become one of my favourite songs on the record. Oh. It's a song of yours which is super simple, like three or four chords. Uh, we worked on it quite a bit together downstairs here in your music room. Mm-hmm. Um, we were reminded again of the song Boys in Town by the Divinals mm. the other night. And it's such a beautiful song. Three chords, uh, the way the melodies placed on the chords in various sections is really genius. And this song totally reminds me of that because you used to cover that song, right? Yeah, I did. When I wrote that, I was really thinking about Mark Lanigan kind of style of dirgy country-ish slow sadness because it's a pretty sad song yeah like, it's almost desolate yeah it's there's a lot of something going on in it and uh, i think i'm right in pointing out that it's uh, almost a response song to one of ben eli's songs right yeah so there's a song by ben eli called aussie road movie and it's on his first i'm gonna say his first solo album and God, it's such a great song. It's like the destruction of a relationship and a man um, completely ruining his life in a way and just getting up and going. Um, and I just I just really love that song of his for some reason. And, he, and the vibe of the song captures his lyrical intent. And so for me, I kind of went off in this direction of like writing the female version of that song it's like the destruction of a life um the need to remove from your community um or like you've destroyed something you've got to get out you know not exist anymore yeah uh it's interesting because against such a bleak theme uh the melody and the chords are really quite melodic and pretty almost yeah it is pretty it didn't. It turned into a pop song. Yeah. When it, I was thinking it was going to be a slow country song. Perhaps it's for the best though, because you know it makes for an interesting kind of contrast. I love your guitar part because like that also adds this dimension to it like it's really uh, it's almost a little bit bold and uh, righteous yeah but it's also really mournful as right. well it's got okay. this mournful sound mm. and it really added something to the song I've been listening to a lot of stoner rock uh-huh. and um, you being a massive stoner yeah I'm such a massive <laughs> massive stoner um I love Stoner Rock, though, and, uh, like, Doom. I love it. And uh, so th- then this song kind of started 
turning into a bit of a it's nothing like a doom song but it's got it's just emotionally doomy when we were demoing it like there were literally moments of your doing your vocal backups and stuff that reminded me of Lana Del Rey Oh, in, wow, in a that's sort so of weird. like deep sweetness yeah. kind of thing. Oh, well, Late to the Party definitely has yeah. a Lana Del Rey something. Nothing like it. It's so funny when you go, oh, yeah, this is my whatever song. And it's like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Nothing like that. I know. <laughs> I saw you before you went away forever. I saw you before you went away. I saw you before you went away forever. Now you're gone, and I'm not feeling any better. Okay, so Tim, the next song is How We Pay. Here we are in the second part of the second side of. <laughs> you can do it. Uh, dear Tim. <laughs> Sec- second. <laughs> the last quarter of the record. The last quarter of the record. Part two of side two. Of five rooms. Of five rooms. Our eighth album. This is the last quarter. Okay, let's do this. How We Pay. This is an interesting song. It's got a lot of parts. Yeah. And only really when we're mixing. I was like, holy shit, it's got a lot of parts. They're all different. (laughs) Oh, you only came up, you only realised that in the mixing. I guess in the practice room, everything kind of sounds more uniform because you're just standing there with one guitar on and you're just playing yeah. it through you know it's so funny like I don't know if this is gonna so we've been making a documentary and the camera the director camera guy Jacob would come into our rehearsal rooms and and um, film us and I think what is going to be really obvious is all the pieces of paper <laughs> oh god yeah all the notes sitting down like scribbling things out rewriting things yeah, I think I remember having a pretty hard time learning this because there are a lot of parts. But we also had to work a lot on getting the dynamics right. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of got there. Like, it's Oh, okay. we definitely um, did. It's actually a really fun song to play. It's, uh, you know, for me, it's nice. It does tick a lot of boxes. It's in one of my favourite screen feeder tunings. It's got a lot of ringing kind of... What tuning is it? It's in the A tuning. Okay. Um, and I kind of like the way the chords move in a very similar yet slightly different way to each other on the various parts and yeah I'm kind of I'm kind of happy with it I think it's another song kind of like Campfire in that it just repeats one thing doesn't really get mega lyrical or but the lyrics are great in the song. As opposed to Campfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no. Well, I'm sorry. I oh, know, I'm being stupid. <laughs> I know. Wow, I didn't really realise it was about um, climate change. Or like yeah, just in loosely, general, you know, loosely, yeah. yeah, definitely. What are your verses? Oh, how? What are your verses? Oh, uh, let me have a look again. Hang on. Uh, the first verse is, "I saw you before you went away forever. Now you're gone." Second verse is, "I'm starting to feel that maybe you were never mine." Oh yeah. So what's all that about? About you know the world, the world and animals and all that stuff. Oh my god, it's not oh. about like a 
It's not a love song. It's not, it's not a love song. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not about... Um, it's not about mortgages, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you're really thinking about like this, the end of the world? Uh, loosely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Holy shit. Everything I write is virtually talking about the end of the world <laughs> <laughs> in some kind of way. How we pay. How do we pay? Oh, it's our kids. I don't have any kids, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's awful. Can you please cut that out? No. Who are we to do this to each other? Who are we to throw around our weight? Who are we to fail and fail and fail at getting it straight? Another question. Who are we to do this to each other? Who are we to do this to each other? Another simple and transparent song you say about this, Tim? I, I feel it's fairly simple and transparent. There's not much to it. I mean, for me, really, it was uh, the the song is using chords as a vehicle to a melody, as a vehicle to a concept. So, like, for me, my favourite thing is the chords. Like, I had this massive jag of listening to Fountains of Wayne, really, for the first time ever, about a year or so ago, a year and a half ago. And you know when you discover a band that everyone else has known about for 20 years and they're like, duh, and you're like, oh, my God, this band's excellent. Yeah, they're, right. they're geniuses at writing songs wow. and their songs are super clever and beautiful and really move me. Wow. I haven't disco- – I'm, I'm still in the I haven't discovered them. I'm an idiot. Yeah, um, right. Um, there's, the guy, Adam Schlesinger, died of COVID early on. Yeah, that's He's awful. the bass player and main songwriter. And so I got into them via this band camp. Uh, release it was a compilation of people covering their songs like mm-hmm. about 20 songs Ben Lee's on there all these big fairly big names are on there and suddenly I was like holy shit these songs are amazing they're really beautiful and really smart and great pop songs really strong and uh, you know they just taught me one or two things about chords some more of which I'm always happy to learn and um, I pushed a few things into this song basically like it's you know I just thought I can do that I want to do that because it's kind of cool and interesting hmm. what's it about uh, it's just really about the title who are we to do this to each other and what we? are you doing and who are we uh, we are say a couple uh, who've treated each other badly or taken each other for granted mm-hmm. or made each other feel small mm-hmm. yeah so this is the relationship song <laughs> Yeah, I guess along with um, maybe Deirdre, you know, like they're yeah. sort of like brother and sister, those okay. two. Okay, really. interesting. I like how songs come in pairs and yeah. they are related to each other. How can we be friends after this? So it's an interesting one, Try to Find It's the last song on the record because it's really the song that, for me, I feel could have been on, say, Burn Out Your Name. Yeah. Because it's got the tempo, it's got the quiet to loud, it's got the rocking out. Um, and it's, again, one of my faves. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it just really works. You know, like the parts work. There's no point at which you're scratching your head or there's no point where you go, come on. Don't bore us. They can try to find us. I won't be standing in their way. Yeah, I think it was written in EA 
B, F sharp. Yeah, B, E. Oh, maybe A, E. Um, yeah, so it was really desolate and yeah. a bit sort of sad and lyrically it's a bit, um, I guess, young people kind of walking away from this mess that's been created. Like, um, we're not going to be listening to what boomers are telling us what to do anymore. Sort of like, going to move away from the patriarchy. Wow. It, actually, this song has got lots of layers for me. Because, like, it's it's very simple lyrically. There's not a lot written, but the layers and the meanings. This is what, a song that basically I do have a meaning for it. And it's like, oh, there's so many things to it. It's like... American gun control and how um, that's a big part of patriarchal society, how young boys are coddled and allowed to kind of do anything. They've got this entitlement to the world that um, even their mothers encourage. So in lots of ways, um, everybody's just encouraging young white men to uh, continue this reign of Uh the world they have they can have the whole entire world and um you know there's like who what is it um who holds the who holds the hand that coddles the sun so it's kind of like who's allowing this to happen right gotcha and then constructs will only come undone so it eventually has to come to an end like the patriarchy has it's all about smashing the patriarchy nice so as a very very last minute thing we decided to put a vocal uh, I guess you call it a refrain or whatever on the outro of the song because mm. it was kind of long and it's almost like you hadn't had enough of that vocal thing yet so what's the line that gets repeated everything's starting to come undone and then it repeats over and over are you the bullet or the gun it's a song full of questions it's a song sure. full of questions and none of it probably makes any sense but I, I do think really deeply about that stuff and you know, just sort of thinking about um, who really is the problem. It's a question which you can probably never answer. Yeah. But it's nice to, well, it's not nice. I mean, it's good to think about this stuff. And it's, yeah, for me, it's a great closer. And it's one of those songs that almost always was destined to be a closer. Yeah. I, look, I'm really proud of the song. I feel like I've moved into a new songwriting period. That's good. If you can do that, you know, after so long writing, that's really you're really yeah. lucky, and that's that's kind of cool. I, I like it when that happens. A yeah, lot. I'm glad that that we can. What's when you do something together like collaborate? Yeah, collaborating. <laughs> wow. And we I can might still need a do it. We can still do it, and it's not like this smooth factory oh, process. It's no. still we sit there annoying each other and getting stuff wrong and yeah. arguing. And it's really hard. Like it's a push and a pull. I put a lot of my self into my lyrics and when I write it's it's me you know
I don't know what's next because I am so sick of planning ahead that my yeah. brain hurts. Well, we'll just critique. let it. We'll just let it unfold. Let's let it unfold. Yeah. It's the ending so that goes forever. It is. The ending goes forever. This is Tim and Kelly. This is the Screen Feeder Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the first real episode about an album, Five Rooms. Um, we're going to go on our next episode back to the beginning and talk about Flower from way back then, which is going to be fun. Um, keep with us. Uh, tell your friends about it. This podcast, as you know, is only available at the moment through our Patreon if you're a patron of the band, eventually they'll come out on Apple, Spotify, all the typical podcast places. Thanks so much for your support. It's amazing and it makes us feel so happy that people are you know, into hearing about us and the records and the band. Hearing us prattle on endlessly about Urge Overkill is something that we give to you as a gift. We hope you enjoy it. Happy Christmas. Um, Happy birthday. And get well soon. (laughs) Thanks again for having us. Thanks for listening. We've been Tim and Kelly. You're on Screen Feeder Podcast. The ending goes forever. And we'll see you next time. See you later.